Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork. Have you ever wondered if you are good enough? Well, I have good news for you. I have the answer to that question. And the answer is yes. I'm going to use conditional logic to prove it. Conditional logic allows you to automatically make a decision about whether or not something is true based on whether or not certain conditions or criteria are met. If the conditions or criteria are met, then we know that something is true. Conditional logic is usually written as an if-then statement. I'll use a simple example to demonstrate how this works. How could I prove that an animal is a bird? First, we need to start by defining what a bird is. What makes a bird a bird? Well, they have wings. That is an excellent start. But although it's true that all birds have wings, it's not enough criteria to prove that something is a bird because bats also have wings, as do butterflies and other insects. So we need more criteria to make certain that we know we have a bird. We don't want to allow any false positive answers. Our criteria needs to be perfect and complete. So what else do birds have? They have feathers, they have beaks, they have hollow bones, they're warm-blooded, they have a spine, and they lay eggs. If an animal meets all of these criteria, then we can prove that it's a bird. Now we have enough criteria to be complete and we won't get any false positive answers. Otherwise, we couldn't trust our conclusion. So you can see how conditional logic works. In order to determine if something is true, you verify that it meets all the necessary conditions or criteria. And the list of criteria has to be complete and trustworthy so you don't get false positive answers. So I want to be able to use conditional logic to prove that you are good enough. But in order to be able to use this tool, we have to clarify a few things. Right away, we have some difficulties in proving the statement, I am good enough, because it isn't very specific. Good enough for what? What is good enough really mean? Most people don't really know how to define what they mean. It's just a feeling that they want to be enough. That lack of specificity makes it challenging to come up with a list of criteria that we're supposed to meet. So I'm going to clarify some things that I think it means when we wonder, am I good enough? Researcher Brene Brown spent six years of intensive study to find out what makes the difference between those people who are brimming with confidence, happiness, success, love, and belonging, and those who struggle for it. And no matter how hard they try, they are always wondering if they're good enough. The answer to this question comes down to one single variable. A person's belief of whether or not they're worthy. I'm going to quote her exact words. There was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it. And that was, the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. So, using this relevant data, I'm going to define good enough 
as being worthy of love and belonging. Now that we have some more clarification of what I mean by am I good enough, we have an additional challenge. What can we use as a set of criteria that needs to be met so that we can prove that we're good enough? What criteria works? People try a lot of different things to meet this criteria. Is it how many friends I have on my Facebook page? Is it how many likes I get on my latest selfie? Maybe it's based on how many people share my latest post or retweet my latest tweet. Is it how smart I am or how talented I am or how beautiful I am? Perhaps it is how popular I am or how successful I am. Maybe it is what kind of car I drive or the size of the house that I live in. Or it could be based on what clothes I wear or how thin I am or how rich I am. Perhaps it's based on how busy I am and the length of my to-do list. Possibly it's based on whether or not I'm in a relationship or I've met someone else's approval. Maybe it's comparative and I need to show that I'm the same as the people around me or prove that I'm better than somebody else. What criteria goes on this list? What set of conditions work? Part of the problem is that people have tried all of these things and they don't seem to satisfy the equation. We have lots of examples of people who have all of these things, but still don't feel like they're good enough. For example, it shocks us when some famous celebrity takes their own life. We don't understand how that could happen. They meet all of the criteria that we think is supposed to prove that we're good enough, so why wouldn't they be satisfied and live happily ever after? And if these things that we think should make us feel good enough don't work, then what does? What more do we have to do? This list of criteria seems hard enough. What more do you want from me? What do I have to do in order to be good enough? This question is something that just seems impossible to answer. Well, this is not the first time in history that we have had an impossible question. In the 1600s, in a time that could be considered the pre-dawn of the Enlightenment or Age of Reason, philosophers had another difficult problem to solve. They wanted to know how to prove that we exist. How can we prove that we're not just in some sort of a matrix situation where we think that we exist, but maybe we really don't? What if life is just a dream? What sort of criteria counts? What list can we put in this box that would prove without a doubt that we exist? Philosophers were baffled by this dilemma. At first, they thought maybe they could use the senses to prove that we exist. We can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. But they ended up rejecting that as proof. Because how do we know that we don't just think that we are seeing and hearing and tasting and touching and smelling? How do we prove that we're not just dreaming the whole thing up? One French mathematician and philosopher named René Descartes contemplated about this dilemma a lot. He pondered on the following question. 
How can I prove that I exist? How can I prove that I don't just think that I exist? Then he had an epiphany. He realized that the answer was actually hidden inside of the question. He realized that he can prove that he exists because he was thinking about proving that he exists. He said, I exist because I think. Or in other words, I think, therefore I am. And recognizing that simple truth made all the difference. So, here we are today, pondering on the question, am I good enough? And remember, I chose to define good enough to mean worthy of love and belonging. So the question could be reworded, how can I prove that I am worthy of love and belonging? And just like the case where Descartes was trying to prove the impossible question of how can I prove that I don't just think that I exist, and found that the answer was actually hidden inside of the question, the same thing is true here. In the case for the question, how can I prove that I am worthy of love and belonging, the answer is actually already hidden inside of the question. I earnestly proclaim that all human souls are worthy of love and belonging. It is a given fact. It is time for a second enlightenment where we recognize and accept the obvious truth that you have worth and that you are worthy of love and belonging simply because you exist. And remember, I already defined good enough as being worthy of love and belonging. So now we have enough information to prove logically that I am good enough and that you are good enough. And we're going to do it in a couple steps. The first step was already proved to us by Rene Descartes. He concluded, I think, therefore I am. Then, Given the fact that all human souls are worthy of love and belonging, it follows then that I am, therefore I am worthy of love and belonging. Then, by definition, we can prove that because I am worthy of love and belonging, therefore I am good enough. You are good enough. You are good enough right now as you are. It is time to recognize and accept the fact that you are good enough and not worry about it anymore. It is time to move forward. Well, that was easy. And yet, somehow, that doesn't seem to solve all of our problems. It's not quite like flipping on a light switch that makes everything all better. Why is that? Why doesn't logically proving that you're good enough suddenly fill everyone with confidence and self-worth? Let's go back to researcher Brene Brown. What was her conclusion again? There was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging 
and the people who struggle for it. And that was, the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. So the difference isn't that people are worthy of love and belonging or aren't worthy of love and belonging. The difference is whether or not they believe it. What is doesn't matter as much as what you believe. You are worthy of love and belonging. You are good enough. It is your birthright. But do you believe it? If you don't, then I understand how you feel. When I was a little girl, just six years old, I had some changes and events in my life, and from those events, I came to the conclusion that I was unworthy of love and belonging. I was insignificant and invisible and simply did not matter. And that was my belief system for pretty much my whole life. And I have to say that Brene Brown was right. That belief affects everything. A few years ago, while searching for some answers of why I believe what I believe, I revisited those childhood events, but this time from a meta-perspective, meaning to step outside of the experience. It's not like I'm inside it remembering, but I'm observing as if I'm watching it from the outside and it was happening to someone else. From this perspective, what I come to the conclusion that this little girl was insignificant and unworthy of love and belonging because of the events that happened? No, of course not. I would have had compassion on a little girl who was hurt and confused and misunderstood. And yet, even going to the source of the problem and proving that it did not mean what I thought it meant wasn't enough to change what I believed to be true. Because by now, it wasn't just one isolated event. I had decades of evidence piled up that validated my belief that I was insignificant and unworthy of love and belonging. So, how do you change what you believe and how you feel? This is a challenging objective that is difficult, but not impossible. And I'll explain how. As humans, we are multifaceted creatures. We have feelings, thoughts, and actions. I'll represent those by the heart, the mind, and the body. Out of these three, the one point where we have the most conscious control is our action. Action changes things. And it is through this point of control that we can influence the other two. We now have proof through MRI scans that significant, measurable changes in brain chemistry and functioning can result from altering our actions. There are many wellness tools that can help positively influence our thoughts and feelings, but I'll quickly share just a couple. First, you can increase feelings of confidence and self-worth in just 90 seconds by doing this one simple trick. Put your chin up, smile, even if you don't feel like it, 
Pull your shoulders back, stand straight and tall with your hands relaxed at your sides or on your hips. Keep both feet pointing forward and keep weight even on both legs. And hold this position for 90 seconds. Some people call this a hero pose or a power pose. And research shows that holding this position between one to two minutes can elevate feelings of confidence and mood for up to a couple hours. It was actually Charles Darwin who was the first to hypothesize that there is a connection between our body language and our emotions that goes both ways. We smile when we feel good, but we also feel good when we smile. Today, that theory is called the facial feedback hypothesis, and it has been verified in study after study after study. The physical expressions of our body language influence our emotional experience, and it does it on a physiological, chemical level. Standing tall, pulling the shoulders back, and raising the chin causes a slight increase in the level of testosterone, which boosts confidence, while simultaneously lowering the level of cortisol, which reduces stress. Furthermore, smiling, even if it's a fake or forced smile, stimulates the production of mood-enhancing hormones such as dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins, which are the feel-good neurotransmitters in the brain that can help us feel better. So by doing a simple action that takes less than two minutes, we can modify the level of chemicals in our body to increase confidence, boost mood, and relieve stress. Here's another example of a simple tool that yields great results. When we're trying to influence brain function and activity, there's nothing more powerful than music. Scientists have found that music stimulates more parts of the brain than any other human function. According to neurologists, listening to music affects our emotions and brings back the feeling of life when nothing else can. Our brain waves actually synchronize somewhat to the pace of the music you're listening to which we can use to our advantage in multiple ways. For example, if you're feeling angry, anxious, or stressed, then listening to soothing music can literally help calm the brain, which supports clearer thinking and more rational decision-making. Whereas if you're feeling discouraged and depressed with low energy, then listening to fast-paced, upbeat music with positive lyrics can help move the brain into a more active state, boosting energy and mood. That is why people create playlists for studying or jogging. The right music for the right job really makes a difference. And it does it on a physiological level. While listening to music is an amazingly effective tool on its own, singing along with the music adds a whole new dimension and bumps up the power of healing exponentially. Singing has been scientifically proven to lower stress, relieve anxiety, and elevate endorphins, which make you feel uplifted and happy. It helps relax muscle tension and decreases the levels of stress hormone in the bloodstream. These are just a couple examples of how we can use these simple tools or action to influence the way that we think and the way that we feel. And they work 
on a physiological, neurological, and chemical level. While healing from depression, low self-esteem, or any emotional issue isn't quick or easy, we have more control than most people realize. The secret is to start small and take a single step, followed by another step and another. Taking the first step is usually the hardest, but one simple step can significantly boost your mood and energy for several hours, which can put you in a good place to take a second step. It is through the process of following small, positive steps day by day that helps us to be able to change the way that we think and the way that we feel. It can help us to have more confidence and to have better self-esteem. It can help lift the fog of heavy depression and to reveal sunshine of hope and happiness. This process really works. I know because it worked for me. I've already used logic to prove that you are good enough and worthy of love and belonging. I'd also like to help you believe it. There are ways to change the way you think and the way that you feel. I invite you to learn more by subscribing and listening to future podcasts and also by visiting the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by A.A. Milne. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. We'll see you next time on Linda's Corner. Thank you.